This is an RNZ podcast. Um, this will allow houses to be built very, very close front on to other houses on the same site with, for example, a living room looking into a principal bedroom four metres away. Blinds will be drawn. There'll be miserable places to live. That was planner Graham McIndoe delivering a dire warning about the government's new bill aimed at enabling medium-density housing in most parts of our biggest cities. He was part of a media blitz by the bill's opponents, who have filled the media's airwaves and column inches with a rich array of protestations over the last few weeks. This is Phil Pennington on Morning Report, raising concerns that building new houses will mean having to deal with the demolition from the old ones they're replacing. If your neighbour pulls down their house to build three new ones, where will the waste go? There's no evidence the government has thought this through, even though construction and demolition waste is a huge contributor to landfills and has been ramping up for years. The following day, another concern. What if new houses steal the sun from its rightful owners, existing householders? Upper Hutt planner Alison Tyndale has just written an article calling it Daylight Robbery. The proposal certainly has um, a lot of potential to lead to existing suburban properties having almost no direct sunlight over the winter months. Four days later, another morning report story raised the spectre of the government giving developers open slather over suburbia. While these reports were worried the bill would increase shade from buildings, over at News Talk ZB, host Andrew Dickens was raising concerns it would reduce shade from trees. But have you thought about the trees? In this intensified development, the tree council spoken to MPs at a select committee today saying, well, look, this whole plan is actually an outrage for the trees. The Herald Supercity correspondent Bernard Orsman was equally dogged in reporting objections to the bill, writing so many negative stories that recurring motifs began to emerge. Here's the first sentence of one of his stories from October 26. National and Labour's radical new housing policy will create division and resentment in the community and risks failure, says Act Leader David Seymour. And here's his lead from November 10. Auckland Council is ratcheting up its opposition to Labour and National's radical plans for greater intensification. Finally, here he is on November 17. Auckland Council has responded to Labour and National's radical plan for greater intensification. This all begs the question, why would the government be going through with this radical plan to let people build a type of housing that dominates most of the world's major cities? I dug through some recent news reports and found this. Among the 37 nations that make up the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, New Zealand has the most unaffordable housing market. Even more relevant, housing supply appears to be a big factor in that issue. Lack of supply was a key driver of booming house prices. Here's the proof. We have exclusive new figures revealing that regions with the highest number of houses built have had the slowest growth in prices. And far from being the unsuspecting victims of sunlight theft, existing homeowners have been profiting to the tune of billions of dollars in untaxed capital gains in just the last year. Wellington homeowners have seen eye-watering property value increases over the past three years. The latest rating valuations have been released for the first time since 2018. Over the past three years, the average home value across Wellington City has increased by more than 60%. This crisis didn't merit more than a few cursory lines, if that, in the stories on sunlight and demolition waste. But more troubling than these stories' lack of context was their lack of balance. Despite being news reports, few of them included any perspective from people arguing in favour of the bill. 
RNZ's daily news podcast, The Detail, hosted two guests who opposed it, Auckland University urban ecology specialist Dr Margaret Stanley and the NZ Herald's Simon Wilson, and none who supported it. On RNZ's Afternoons, hosts Jesse Mulligan and Simon Wilson again admitted they were struggling to find anyone who was in favour of the bill's provisions. And yet, and yet, Simon, I have really struggled to find someone who can tell me that this bill is a good idea. I know, it's difficult, isn't it? That may say more about the people they listen to than the actual support for the legislation. The Coalition for More Homes, which has backed the bill's intent and general thrust, is comprised of 13 organisations including the Auckland Architecture Association, Unite Union, Generation Zero, Habitat for Humanity, Women in Urbanism, the New Zealand Initiative, Developers Ockham, Planners MR Cagney, Urbanists Greater Auckland and others. Despite representing a broad alliance from across the political spectrum, its perspective was only covered by a select group of reporters, including Newsroom's Sam Sashdeva. A few other pro-housing views snuck into the media as well. Stuff ran a column from Jade Kake calling for amendments to the bill which would make it, if anything, more permissive. And to be fair to RNZ's Afternoons, it did eventually track down someone to speak up in defence of medium-density housing, urban designer Maddie Prasad, on Monday's show. But these voices were few and far between, and in that vacuum of debate, some questionable or just plain wrong claims were allowed to go unchallenged. In the spirit of fairness, I asked Coalition for More Homes spokesperson Scott Caldwell to address some of the more common complaints about the bill raised in the media. So one argument we've heard in the media and from places like councils and their select committee submissions is that allowing people to build three-storey houses anywhere will cause sprawl. And what's your response to that? Currently at this stage, where the council allows two- and three-storey terraced buildings, particularly townhouses, to be built. They are stopping development in the central suburbs and they're pushing the development out to the fringe of the city. What this bill will do is to reverse that situation. So by allowing three-storey townhouses everywhere rather than just the central suburbs, we're going to get more townhouses in the central suburbs. It's going to take that demand away and bring it inwards, closer to where people live and where they work. What about the idea that this will mean that low-quality buildings are constructed? We've had planners saying on places like the project that this will be uh, this will cause drawn curtains and these buildings will be miserable places to live and they've raised the spectre of the leaky building crisis. Well, at the moment, people across Auckland, particularly in the less fortunate parts of the city, you have people living in a single-family house with much more than one single family living within them. The reality is is that no one's going to move into these new buildings unless it's providing a better quality of life than what is currently provided. And for all those people living in overcrowded homes, that's going to be an an easy sell because even a small apartment is going to give give them a higher quality of life and more floor space than is currently provided by our existing housing shortage. We also have building act rules which aren't going anywhere which sort of mandates stuff like insulation levels and and, and heating standards and construction standards. Yeah, and so the idea that this is going to be another leaky homes crisis is quite ridiculous. The Building Act is not changing. That's what regulates, you know, having a house that isn't going to catch fire, you know, is accessible for people, that is not going to fall over in an earthquake. That's not changing. 
we've heard people like the Herald Simon Wilson, for instance, saying that this is deregulation and that taking away the council planning team's controls on where you can build within a site. So setbacks from the side and front boundary, for instance, will cause bad design. Are those planning rules actually causing good design? Uh, will taking them away cause bad design? No, these planning rules don't exist for reasons of good design. If you think of somewhere like Paris, or you think of Manhattan, or you think of London, they don't have setbacks, not from the street, not from each other. They don't have recession planes. They are built multiple. This is good design, and the council rules prohibit this good design. The reason these rules exist is to quote-unquote protect neighbours from development. The changes we're making are about promoting good design, but they're about allowing more houses. They're not about weakening design. Phil Goff and others have been reported often in the media, particularly in the Herald, saying that infrastructure is the real barrier to development. Taking away their zoning controls won't actually do anything because they don't have the infrastructure to allow development in the first place, and that's the obstacle. This isn't correct. If infrastructure is the only obstacle, then taking away zoning is not going to change anything. But the reality is that infrastructure isn't an obstacle. What matters is population growth and extent of the network. We're going to have to deal with population growth no matter what, but this bill does affect the extent of the network. This bill is going to mean we actually need less extent, that we'll need to take fewer pipes into places like QMU or Drury, because more growth will happen within the existing infrastructure that's provided. What, what they're reporting there is simply not correct. We've seen a lot of concerns as well in the media about the loss of urban trees if we do allow people to build all these houses. Building intensely and knocking down maybe one or two, two trees saves you from building sprawl, which will knock down hundreds. Um, now, we can build our existing building infill and redevelopment is going to be far better for the tree life out of our city than building sprawl. We've also seen concerns on RNZ, places like the project, for instance, about the shading effects of building particularly tall new houses on existing houses. It's a way more subjective thing than people make it out to be, right? Like people kind of love shade when it's hot and they hate shade when it's cold. And it's about hot half the time, it's about cold half the time. Now, what we can do better is to build our buildings in such a way that they primarily shade the street rather than shade neighbours, perhaps. But shading as a bad thing in and of itself is not correct. Is this another situation where the media reports need to consider the counterfactual here that if we prioritize people's fears about shading then we're kind of prioritizing them over people's need for housing yeah so there's very little coverage in the media about what the costs are of um, protecting you know existing lighting situations rather than what are the costs of not protecting them a major consequence is the average person not being able to afford to live near where they work and play that was More Homes Coalition spokesperson Scott Caldwell talking there to Hayden Donnell about coverage of the housing intensification issue, that bill before Parliament and the pressure on the bipartisan agreement that's backing it up.